What's up, junior high students? Welcome to week number two of sermons from quarantine. Feels like it's been more than two weeks, but it's only been two weeks since we've been together, since we were up at Revival Winter Edition. Feels to me more like it's been like two years. Don't know about you, uh, but it feels that way, I think, because everything stopped. Right? We're used to going to school and going to work and um, eating out and doing all those things, and it kind of just stopped all at once. And I don't know how that makes you feel, but that can bring anybody down. That can make anyone feel sad and depressed and think, man, I just wish things could be like they were before. Well, it's interesting because we're going to open our Bibles today to a chapter of the Bible written by a guy whose world stopped and he literally, not figuratively, he literally went to jail. And he was in jail for almost two years. And a lot of what he was doing, his life just kind of stopped. But he's going to give a command today that instead of being sour about it, instead of being bitter about it, instead of being upset or, or complaining, he's going to say, we should do something else. Something else that's really important. Something else called rejoicing. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. So open those Bibles up. Philippians chapter 4. Remember last time we were together, we were studying about these two ladies in the church. Two ladies that were really important, that seemed to be really important, and they also were not getting along. And the spiritual superpower that we covered last time was unity. That God says that we should unite together, get along as Christians, and that we can actually do that. Where the world can't really do that. They can center around ideas and causes, but they can't have the same type of unity that Jesus wants in his church. So that's what we studied last week, but this week we're going to study something else. Paul, the guy who I mentioned before, he's writing this from jail, he says something very particular in verse 4. So I want you to check it out. It's a really short passage we're covering today, but it's really important. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then there's a lot of stuff that comes in verse 6 that we're going to cover next week. But I want, what I want you to see from Philippians 4.4 4 is what he's saying is no matter what your circumstance, you are supposed to rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't give an out. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord unless you're like me in jail, stuck in quarantine. Um, I don't know if it's really quarantine, but you know, what it, you know what I mean. He was in jail. He was literally in quarantine. I mean, you feel like you're in jail because you only go outside for an hour and a day to, to play outside. But he was actually in jail. And he says, we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. I'm sure he's not giving us this command if it's not a command that he was following while he was writing it. We want to make sure we're rejoicing. He rejoiced when he was in jail. We're called to rejoice. But this rejoicing is not just being happy about our circumstance because sometimes our circumstance is bad. And for you, your circumstance right now probably is worse than it normally is. Usually you're at school and usually you're in your sports. And usually we, on Wednesday night, instead of you know meeting on Zoom, we usually come to church and do small groups. And right now things aren't like that. And that's not a good circumstance. But what Paul calls us to, and ultimately what God calls us to do, is to actively find joy in God himself. And then verse 5 talks about expressing that joy through graciousness to other people. So I want us to look at these two verses. We're only going to have two points today, points 1 and 2. But I want you to look at verse 4 again here in Philippians chapter 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if you say to do something always, 
there's not much of a way out of that, is there? It's kind of like, you got to rejoice. Well, if we're supposed to rejoice, we always got to rejoice. And then he repeats himself because I'm sure he thinks like we think. There's a lot of people that could say, well, I'd rejoice in the Lord if this situation was different. I would rejoice in the Lord if I wasn't in jail. I would rejoice in the Lord if I got that thing that I wanted. I would rejoice in the Lord if my situation at church or at school or with my friends was better. Then I would rejoice. But I'm not going to rejoice now because things are really bad now. Well, we don't have that excuse because things were really bad for Paul. But he says rejoice in the Lord always. And don't miss where he says rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't just say be happy all the time or cheer up. Don't feel sad. You should never feel sad. That's not what he's getting at. He's talking about something else. He's saying joy is different than happiness. So I want you to write this down for point number one before we even jump into that discussion. Write this down for point number one. Rejoice because of Jesus no matter what. Rejoice because of Jesus no matter what. When he says rejoice in the Lord, that's the Lord. Remember how Philippians chapter 2 verse 11 says that when it comes to who the Lord is, that's Jesus Christ. God has made Jesus the Lord. He's given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we should rejoice because of Jesus no matter what. That's why he says always. That's why he repeats it. And this might feel weird to you um, because for some of you, you're thinking, why would God command me to feel happy? Right? Why would he command me to feel happy? Do I have to be happy or, or joyful? Well, I want you to see that this is not the only time that God calls us to rejoice and says, this is a command. You have to do this if you're a Christian. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Here's what he says. He says, rejoice always. Same idea. Then he says, pray without ceasing. Then he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the answer is yes. God does command us to have joy. But I want to take a step back and talk about that thing I just mentioned. Um, joy and happiness. I think there's a difference, right? The word happy has the same root word as the word happening, right? So I'm happy about what's happening. So if you're going to define happiness, I guess a good way of defining it is it's a good response to a good situation, right? If I said, I'm happy that the Yankees are in the playoffs, right? Well, obviously um, the Yankees aren't even playing right now. Um, they're not in the playoffs. Um, but if I said, I'm happy that I get to go outside and play, I'd be like, okay, I'm having a good response because the situation that I'm in or the circumstance I'm in is favorable for me. It's good for me. I'm responding with happiness because my happenings, what's happened is good. Okay. That's awesome and great, but that's not what he's saying here. He's not just saying be happy about what's happening. He's actually saying rejoice, find joy in the Lord. Joy is different than happiness. At the beginning, I told you that joy is, is active. Joy is something that you do. Joy is, is an active thing, not a passive thing, right? When it comes to happiness, um, you get the idea, the difference between active and passive, right? Um, passive means something happens to me. Active is something that I'm doing, right? I'm happy that something happened, but joy is something that we're called to do, something we're called to think about and, and, and rejoice in. So what are we rejoicing in? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your circumstances. 
Don't rejoice in, in your friend group. I mean, those are good things to be happy about, but they all change, right? Even if I were to tell you, like, imagine three weeks ago, I said, um, you're, you're not going to go to school in, in the entire uh, month of March and April. You'd say, that's crazy. No way. School is a constant, right? You would have said that, and I probably would have said the same thing. Guess what? God had other plans, right? So that wasn't a constant. We can't, we can't place our joy in something that's going to move. And we just know if you do that, right, when that thing changes or the situation changes or the relationship changes, your, your joy goes away, right? That's why he says rejoice in the Lord. Because if you want to have joy in anything, it'd be a person who never changes, Right, think that through. If you want to rejoice in the Lord, one of the reasons you should do that is because God never changes. Here's what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus never changes. Back in the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, God said this. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. He's talking to the Israelites and he's saying, I don't change. And if I was going to change, right, that would be bad news for you. Right? And the book of Malachi is all about him calling out these people's sin, where they did all these things that God said, don't do in the law of the Lord in the first five books of the Bible. And God calls him out and he says, it's really good that I don't change. Right? You might think that's a bad thing because I'm holding you to this standard, but it's really a good thing because I'm going to keep my promises. When you think about something to find joy in, people find joy in a lot of different things. But if you don't find your joy in the Lord, it is going to fail you at some point. And I think our situation right now with this whole COVID-19 thing, um, I think that's proof, that should be proof enough for you that if you find joy in something that right now you can't do, like your sport, like seeing your friends, if you find joy in something else, you're not going to be happy right now. You're not going to have that joy right now. It's going to be gone, at least for a little bit and in a little capacity. I want you to look at, I um, actually you don't need to turn there, but I want to mention some Psalms to you, some, some lyrics that happen uh, in the book of Psalms that talk about God and how he never changes. Okay. Psalm chapter eight, verse one, if we want to think about something that never changes and rejoice in it, I think God's character is a good place to start. And here's what Psalm eight, one says, it says our Lord, or it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? You have set your glory above the heavens. So thing number one, if we want to think about what never changes and something we can rejoice in the Lord, it's how awesome God is, that he's majestic, that he made everything, that he owns everything. He even says that in Psalm 24, verse one, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That means that God made everything, He's in charge, and everything in the world belongs to God. Nothing is something that's beyond God's reach. Nothing is something that God says, oh, well, I control everything, but just not that thing. No, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Here's what Psalm 115 verse 3 says. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is sovereign. He's in control. That means that there is nothing that has ever happened that has happened that God has said, oh, that's not allowed to happen. That can't happen. Right? Everything that happens, this, this virus, you not going to school, you missing out on, on sports and tournaments that you want to play in, none of that goes um, unseen by God and unplanned by God. God is in control of all that. 
you can rejoice in the Lord because he never changes. Next thing, Psalm 24, verse 8. The psalmist asks a good question, and then he answers his own question. He says, who is the king of glory? Who's the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. You want to rejoice in somebody? Rejoice in the Lord. He is the king of glory, and he's mighty, and he's strong, and he's awesome. Another thing that you can rejoice in the Lord in for, uh, Psalm 19, verses 7, 8, and 9. Here's what it says. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. His word, his word is perfect. It's reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You have God's word right in front of you. If you have a Bible out in front of you, or if you're on your phone or your iPad or your computer or whatever, you have God's word. You should rejoice in the Lord. And one of the ways that you should do that is you should rejoice in the Lord by appreciating and thanking him for his word. And even taking advantage of having his word in so many different capacities by studying it and reading it and meditating on it. If there's anything that we can rejoice in the Lord, it's him. It's his word. And that's not all. There's other things that we can rejoice in the Lord for as well. If you think about what the New Testament says about what Jesus did for us, there's a lot that you can rejoice in the Lord for. I want you to turn to a passage. I haven't made you turn anywhere except for Philippians 4. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. I want to look at this together. Romans chapter 8. It's like the most famous chapter in all the Bible, some say. Romans chapter 8 talks all about how God has loved his people. He's given us the Holy Spirit and he's allowed us to be heirs with him, which means that we get to enjoy the benefits of eternal life with Jesus, um, that he doesn't just close that off for himself. He allows all of us to be a part of that. In Romans chapter 8, look at verse 31. It says, what, should we, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're a Christian and you trust in Christ, God's for you. God's for you, and he's not for everything you do. He's not for uh, sin and stuff like that, but he's in general, he's for you because Jesus Christ died for your sins. If God's for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That means God's chosen people. It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. What that means is Jesus is like literally right now in heaven next to God interceding for us. That means that he stands between us and God and that he is our defender before God. He, when we do things that are wrong and are sinful and we deserve to be punished, Jesus's death on the cross intercedes for us. And when we pray to God, it says that Jesus intercedes for those prayers. He stands between and delivers our prayers to the Father. We've got a lot to rejoice about, even if you're stuck at home, even if you're in quarantine, even if you were like Paul and in jail. Look what he says in verse 35. This is Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, 
For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're a Christian, you've got a lot to rejoice about, no matter what your circumstances are. No matter if you're sick, or you're healthy, or you're about to be killed, as he's describing here, that these Christians were like sheep to be slaughtered. You can imagine just like a slaughterhouse with a bunch of animals going in. It's like, that's what he's saying the Christians were like back then. He says, but we can rejoice because Christ's love that he has for us, that he's shown us on the cross, it, it's completed. It's done. There's nothing about that that can be taken away from God's people. We should rejoice. That's why in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus said, uh, you don't need to rejoice in these other things. What you should rejoice in is that your name is written in heaven, that your salvation is secure. That's something I want you to think about during this, this quarantine time, right? Is your salvation secure? And if your salvation is based on what you've done and the performance that you think that you've done before God and you think that you're a good person or you think God will, he, oh, well, he wouldn't punish me because, I mean, we, me and him, we got this thing going on that you know, I don't need to trust in Jesus, right? If that's your mindset, right, then you should fear all these things and, and you shouldn't be settled because you got to rejoice in yourself. Right? And after some point, you just need to recognize that that joy is going to run out. But if your joy is in Christ and if you trust in Christ, and you've been forgiven of your sins, and Jesus has come and lived a perfect life in your place and then died on the cross, taking God's eternal and just punishment for your sin and for my sin, if that's really happened, we've got so much to rejoice about. doesn't matter if things are not the way they've always been. We've got so much to rejoice about. Paul doesn't just say we should rejoice always. And I want you to think through... um, some of the situations that you are in right now that are hard to rejoice in, whether it's you don't get to go to school like you want to go to school. Imagine that. Imagine if I told you three weeks ago that you would actually want to go to school. Um, But it's true. A lot of you probably want to go to school at this point. Um, Some of you are thinking, no, I don't want to go to school, but it'd be really great to get back on my sports team, playing my sports and going to practice and playing in my tournaments and going to those games. Right? I really want to do that again. Well, That's a situation where even if those things are taken away, you need to be able to say, I am going to rejoice in the Lord because look what God has done for me. Even before look what God has done for me, look at who God is. I get to rejoice in him and I get to praise him for who he is and and for what he's done, specifically and especially for what Christ has done for me. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And if you missed it, he says, again, I say rejoice. But he's got another command. This is in verse 5. So back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, you might have a footnote in your Bible. For me, it's footnote. It's a little number 5 next to the word reasonableness. And it has the word on the bottom of the page, gentleness. Gentleness, I think that's a a pretty good translation. Um, Reasonableness, just when I look at it, um, what I see is like, uh, let your reasonableness be made known to everybody. To me, that just seems like, um, you know, act in a reasonable, smart way and let everybody see that you're, you're intelligent, you're smart, or you're wise. Um, that's not what he's trying to get at. 
what he's trying to get at is um, gentleness um, or probably a better way of saying it more common way that we say it is um, graciousness right if I say um, you were really gracious to me what that could mean is and what it usually means is um, yeah I um, I wasn't great to you but you were really nice to me or um, sometimes if you imagine, have you ever imagined like being a waiter or a waitress? Um, and um, those people have to be really gracious, especially if they can't hear the people ordering. I remember sometimes uh, when we, we go to a restaurant and uh, maybe your grandpa or your grandma, I know, same thing for me, um, they'll order and maybe they'll order in a way that they can't hear. Um, and the waiter or waitress has two choices. They can either be like, what did you say? Like, hey, speak up. Or because they're getting a tip, right? they can be gracious and say, oh, what was that? Oh, I missed that. I want to hear that. Right? Two different responses, right? Harshness and graciousness. What Paul's saying is, he says, let your graciousness, let your gentleness be made known to everyone. What he's saying is you should be gentle and gracious and kind and friendly to everyone. And then he says, for what reason? The Lord is at hand. Okay? The Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming back. That should motivate you to be not only joyful, but also gentle and gracious with the people that you interact with. So I want you to write this down for point number two from verse five. This is point number two. Show grace to others because Jesus is coming. Show grace to others because Jesus is coming. Now, those two ideas, you might think, well, I don't see how those even connect. Right? He connects them in this passage, and I think there's other passages in the Bible that connect these two ideas, showing grace to other people and the fact that Jesus is coming back, right? But I want you to see, before we even jump into that, that the idea of reasonableness or graciousness or kindness or gentleness is the opposite of self-love or self-care or selfishness. Okay? There's another passage that describes what reasonableness is, and I want you to see it. It's in uh, Philippians 2. I think we turned here last week as well, but Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 talk all about this. They say, um, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's what it means to be gentle or reasonable or gracious. Verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, he doesn't just say, let your reasonableness or your graciousness be made known to all the Christians you know. He doesn't just say that. He says, let it be made known to everyone. Your reputation as a Christian should be graciousness and kindness. Why? Well, because the Lord is at hand. There's other passages in the Bible, and I want um, to, to reference a few of them right now, that talk about how Jesus is coming, and because he's coming, that should motivate you to act a certain way and to have a certain attitude that's not natural. That's not a way that you would normally live. Okay? James chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 is a good place to start. James 5, 8 and 9 says this. It says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Okay? That all seems to make sense. These Christians who are being persecuted, they should be patient because Jesus is coming back and Jesus is going to be the judge and he's going to win. Now look what he says in the next verse. This is James 5, 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's saying, you know what? I know that it's really helpful to think Jesus is coming back to destroy my enemies. But what but James says is, make sure you're not other people's enemies. Don't be a person who's grumbling. That means to complain against other people because the judge is at hand. 
the judge is standing at the door. There's some things that you wouldn't do if you knew that your parents were literally at the door waiting to open it, right? If your parents were at the front door, you probably would not be beating up your brother in the living room if you knew that when your parents opened the front door, there you would be throwing, throwing jabs at your brother in the face. Yeah, well, hopefully you wouldn't do that. Um, I can think of a couple of you that might do that, but I, I, won't, I won't name those names. Anyway, uh, you wouldn't do that because the, the, the judge, the person who's going to come in and administer justice, they're at the door and they're about to pop in. James says that should be your your mindset and my mindset when we think about Jesus coming back, that he's right there and he's about to come in the door. And that should motivate you not to complain about people. And for right now, for you in this quarantine, that's mostly your family. That's mostly your mom and your dad and your grandparents, maybe if they live with you, or your siblings, or, or maybe just your friends that you're able to interact with. Are you complaining about them? Are you complaining to them? Right? I know it's easy to get irritable when we're all, you know, stuck in the house together, you know, using that one sink in the bathroom, using that one shower that's in the bathroom that you all share, whatever. Um, it's easy to get irritable, um, but don't grumble against one another because Jesus is at the door and he's about to come back. And your expectation and my expectation is he's going to come back. Right? And remember point number one, that should make us joyful too. Right? There's another verse that I want you to... Um, to hear about Luke 21:34. So, Luke 21:34, Jesus is talking. Here's what he says about his own coming back. He says, "But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap." He says, "Be careful because if you let your life be consumed with just the cares of the world, my coming back is going to be like a trap." It's going to come and you're going to be like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that at all. I want you to think about this. Do you think right now that Jesus will come back this week? Do you think he's going to come back this week? I didn't hear you. I was, I was just waiting for your response. Do you think he's going to come back this week? Yes or no? Well, maybe, right? If you're thinking about the stats, you would say, well, statistically, uh, if you would have asked me that last week and the week before and the week before, a good answer would be no. But the Bible's answer is, yes, he is coming back. And we got to be thinking like he's coming back this week because if we don't, we're not going to follow these commands like we should. Jesus says, you got to be prepared for me. I'm coming like a, a thief in the night. That's going to change your attitude. That's going to change the way you show grace. If you know that Jesus is going to walk through the door, so to speak, and he's going to catch you acting a certain way with your siblings, how do you want Jesus to catch you? Do you want him to catch you beating up your brother and sister, figuratively or literally? Um, I hope the answer is no to that. It's going to change your attitude. It's going to change the way you live. Right? I want you to turn to one more passage we're going to close with today. First Peter. First Peter chapter 3. Actually, Second Peter. Sorry. Second Peter chapter 3. I want you to turn to this passage. It's a really important passage because it talks about how Jesus is coming back and how that ought to change your attitude. And it got to change the way that you think about the world and even the way you act with your siblings, your brother and sister. So check it out. This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. There are people in the book of 2 Peter who apparently didn't think Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. He said, he's not coming back now. Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
Time is not something that affects God like it affects us. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's good news. That God wants to save people, and he's been patient with us, and that's why he hasn't come back yet. It says, But, verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Sounds like James 5, right? The judge is at the door. Verse 11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening, asking for that day to come sooner? Because of what? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I want that idea of Jesus is going to come back this week. I want that to motivate you to, first of all, rejoice in the Lord, whether your situation is good or bad right now, whether you like being in quarantine or not. Rejoice in the Lord and then show grace to people. Be gracious. Let your reasonableness, your graciousness, your kindness be made known to everyone, specifically the people in your house, because those are the people that need it the most. So that's all we got in the book of Philippians today. We are going to be coming at you next week with Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which talks all about worry and anxiety and patience and trusting God. So make sure you tune in next week to see that. We'll see you guys next week.